Welcome to the Birds and Bees podcast. This is your host, Sue Johnson. I am a white, cisgendered, able-bodied, neurotypical person. And this podcast is for people who uh, are not part of the bullshit heteronormative binary. And I'm very excited today because I am talking to Andrew Gerza. And he is the uh, podcast host and creator of Disabled After Dark. He is a writer. He owns a production company called Wheels on the Ground. Uh, an activist. Am I missing anything? uh super queer uh oh queer as the day is long porn star <laughs> uh what else do i do canadian. uh canadian <laughs> that's yes canadian I'm, I'm dual actually i'm both so i'm, I'm a little bit of both <laughs> um and also so it, it is that patriotic time of the year canada day independence day in the u.s um <laughs> So we we didn't have we had no mail for the last couple of days and and no um no garbage pickup. Well, I'm I'm okay with no <laughs> mail. That just means no bills, right? So yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I got really into your podcast. I've been skipping around. I tried to pack as much in in a month that I could, but <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have. I I still work full time. But you're just incredibly engaging. And very raw and honest. And that's oh, really well, why thank I'm you. listening to you. Well, thank yeah. you so much. No problem. And um, I love bear in a chair. I think that's the best hashtag aside from very fat, very brave, which Nicole Byer has used. I mean, that one's great too. Nicole Byer is awesome. And Nicole, if you're listening, mm. let me on your show. Uh, <laughs> like, put me out there because I think she's great. And I watch, um, I watch Nailed It with Glee all the time because I'm like, you're the greatest. <laughs> But yeah, no, bear in a chair was just was me just playing with the fact that I'm, you know, I got some I got some chunk on me. And so I, I wanted to play with the fact that I, you know, I'm never going to look like the the average, you know, white, cis, gay dude at a circuit party. That's never going to be my experience. And so I figured, you know, well, so many gay men identify with like these weird animalistic communities like bear otter all this stuff and i was like well yeah i want to include disability in that because i think we should like my whole thing with what i do is how do i how do i infuse disability in everything i do like mm-hmm. because it's a part of who i am a hundred percent and for anyway, any listeners who don't know hi my name is andrew gerza I'm a, I'm a disabled person um i live with cerebral palsy and i use a power wheelchair i'm a white cisgender i'm a i'm leaning i'm kind of growing into my non-binariness as, as i as i say this i'm i'm, yeah. I'm exploring with the my pronouns are they and he um uh, so i'm exploring all of that as i go uh but you know i me being disabled and doing what i do uh i feel like it's important to put put it everywhere because it's a part of the human condition in everyday life so we should be talking about it and also playing with it and making it part of our pop culture references and so that's what I try to do with what I with the stuff I put out and uh and people think people with disabilities are asexual and you have really said no fuck you we're horny and (laughs) I I I just loved it um I can't remember who you were speaking to but you're just like when I was in college I drank beer and I sucked a lot of dick. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> As any young queer man in colleges want to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, but, but I do, I feel like, did you have, because um, you've been dating for a while or 
or I shouldn't even say that. Mm, you, you. I wouldn't say dating. No. My dating experience has been few and far between. I mm. predominantly have worked with um, sex workers that my needs met, so I wouldn't say dating. I'd say, I'd say, connecting? yeah, that's I'm connecting with individuals that I pay for their time. Um, my dating experience has been really marred by ableism. I think people are just so. That's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, people are really um, uncomfortable with the idea of dating a disabled person. And so I got, to, I'm tired. I'm 37 now. Like it's exhausting trying to be, trying to want to date, trying to do all this stuff, trying to be like, do what is expected in the dating world and not mm-hmm. even get to a second or third date because someone can't handle the fact that you're disabled. So for me, it's just fucking exhausting. And I, 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 not that I've given up, but I've, I have relaxed my need to go on dates and been like, ah, oh, it'll right. come if it comes. And if it doesn't, I can pay for good dick. There you go. <laughs> um, but I feel I um, I had spoken to a friend of mine on the show, Rob. He is um, autistic. He's very high functioning. But he was finding these people that he felt like they were treating him like he was precious and, and didn't want to, you know, wanted to be super gentle. So I was just wondering if that has come up with, any of the fine gentlemen you encounter? I mean, in my younger days, I don't, I don't, again, I don't do hookups much anymore. I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I really resign. My, I really like stick to the sex worker that I know and trust my, my primary sex worker when it wasn't, when the world wasn't blowing up and when COVID was mm-hmm. like, I haven't had sex in a year and a half because of COVID, just because I am mm-hmm. immunocompromised and I need to be, yeah. I need to be careful and I need to be safe. And so I haven't had, sex in, in you know almost two years but you know I have met men who thought I was too fragile who didn't want to fuck me or spend time with me because they were scared they'd hurt me that's a really common myth about sex and disability that we often are dispelling um to go back to something you mentioned earlier you know people think people think we're asexual and we have to spend all this time yeah. debunking that myth but ironically I talk to a lot of disabled people who are asexual and who are, who, who do actually fall within that asexuality spectrum. And so the more and more I do this work, the more I'm like, maybe there are some disabled people that don't want to have sex because they're asexual. And also because the ableism they experience in trying to access sex is exhausting. And that's, yeah. I, I can see why for some members of the community, it's a lot, it's a lot to navigate and like, I think that for me, sexuality, for me, like sex is something that's very important to me and my sexuality is very important to me and my access mm. to express that is really important. But um, I, you know, in not having done it a year, in a year and a half because of the pandemic, it's forced me to find other ways to have intimacy and look at things right. a little differently. Right. Um, I know you had said that, uh, unfortunately, you, you don't have a, the ability to self-pleasure anymore. No, no, I lost that a couple of years ago because of uh, hand tightness, dexterity, muscle pain, spasm, all that stuff, um, which Ooh. which is why I, me and my sister started our sex toy company. Um, yeah. And so we started, <laughs> we've started a toy company called Handy. Um, uh, and it, so it's- fucking cool. I love it. Yeah, we're super <laughs> excited. It's, it's 
gonna be we're you know designing the first line of sex tech for and by disabled people that's gonna put pleasure within reach for them so we're you know we're super excited but sorry what was your what was the actual question before i cut you off oh no (laughs) i feel like (laughs) i think you're so easy to talk to i think i kind of slid off track somewhere (laughs) but it's okay um no just uh, just that um finding someone to be intimate with is challenging enough in this time but you know on top of that having somebody feel like oh you're you're very precious you're very fragile I, yeah. I don't want to hurt you. I mean, and there are some disabled people who are precious and and I don't mean it like precious, but they're, they they have, you know, they can break a bone or they can, if sure. they're moved the wrong way, they can hurt themselves um, or be hurt. So I think this mythology that we're like precious cherubs is wrong, but having a discussion mm-hmm. about what could hurt us is not wrong. So no. like, I think we have to have frank discussions about what we're able to do. And a lot of times disabled people don't know because they've never been given the chance to try. So we don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, and I talk to a lot of people who hurt themselves during sex, but then, you know, they go to the ER or they go with it, with the partner to the, to see a doctor to fix it. And they're like, Oh yeah, I was having a great time. I was fucking, it was great. Like, you know, <laughs> um, so I think that, there's just so much mythology around sex and like, like I think having conversations around what the realities are to debunk that before you have sex with somebody is mm-hmm. a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, uh, and it's amazing that you're coming up with a sex toy company and keeping it in the family. Um, I mean, I never thought I'd be making a <laughs> sex toy with my sister, but the more and more <laughs> we started doing that work with the handy, we realized that when we put a poll out, we put a poll out on like Reddit probably within the first year just to see if it was something we should pursue. And we found out that 92% of people we spoke to of the 100 people that we had surveyed said, yeah, we want a toy like this. So that 92% of the people, that 92% translates into like hundreds of thousands of people around the world that want something like this, that are hungry for a toy that represents their bodies. And we were like, well, if that's the feedback we're getting, we should push forward. That's a niche market and it's going to be hugely successful, I'm sure. Well, you know, the I, you could say it's niche, but you could also say... Every, uh, untapped, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Everybody gets older. Everybody's going to, you mm-hmm. know, my thinking is this. Every single person on the planet will encounter disability at some point in their lives, whether that mm-hmm. be to themselves through god forbid an accident or old age or you know you might run into the hottest disabled person in your life and be like i need to spend time with them or be with them how do we how do we do this you're going to need to know how to navigate that and having this toy on the market or having and having these discussions around how to make accessible sex tech and accessible sex toys is something we're not doing right now and we're we're ignoring a whole market of humans that deserve this attention. And that just speaks back to the binary that the sex toy and adult films content have created. It's for white able-bodied people or maybe some fetish stuff occasionally, but it's just like, we, we don't need to think about disabled people because that's not, we're hot, sexy adults. That's what you want to see. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's gross. It's gross. I, I, mean, I uh, yeah. yeah. 
but porn for me is, I don't know, it's so overly directed. And as I get older, I've become a very cranky feminist. I think I've mentioned that before. I don't call, I'm married and he's called my husband because I don't like the word husband anymore. (laughs) Amazing. You should call your, you should make a buck guys called the cranky feminist. I would listen to it every day. I could change the name. <laughs> there's I'm already not. a couple of birds and bees out there, but you know, I'm there know. for that. I mean, I'm sure there's something like like I'm sure there's something similar, but you're totally good. Um, you know, well, you know, I did I did a porn. I did a porn a couple yes. years ago, um, and I I love that experience. It's one. It was one of my favorite highlights of being a sex educator of doing what I what I do because it fell in my lap. A, a porn company, Himros. Uh, .tv, which is run by Davey Wavy, the YouTuber. Uh, oh, yeah. We know each other a little bit. We, we've done some work for each yeah. other. And he said, you know, I know you want to do porn and I know you want to get that representation out there. Would you want to film one? And so I immediately was like, yes, where do I sign? What, where do I sign on? Because not only because I wanted to fuck on film, but because also because I understood that this would, you know, create representation for disabled people who you know are not given the spotlight and are not not considered sexy to be to say yeah you're gonna watch me fuck this guy for the next 22 minutes and yes I'm in a wheelchair and yes you see me get out of my chair and you see all these things and it's gonna be hot as fuck here's you know so I did it knowing that it was gonna be bigger than just a porn and knowing that by doing it it was gonna change somebody's mindset on disabled people fucking like not only do I see it as a porn I see it as an educational like film like if you watch that and you were ever curious about how does a disabled person fuck well I've given you a 22 minute like tutorial and how that works it was a window into your bedroom yeah almost. quite literally yeah. you know, it was done in my yep. bedroom so it was quite literally a window oh, well. <laughs> in my bedroom I, I love that you're so sex positive and and unapologetic about it because we don't have enough of that in this world. I don't oh, well, thank you. Is. And uh, uh, the, the fact that Davey was able to give you a helping hand, he's somebody that is huge in, in um, sexual health and really yeah. just very good about talking about um, consent. Sorry, I flipped my brain for a second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, in the people that I've talked to on the show, I feel like there is more consent with uh, female identifying people with their partners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, consent is a big one for me. And I talk about consent in a couple of ways as a queer, you know, male identified or, or closer to maleness than the average person. Um, mm. um, uh, but I also talk about it in terms of like, consent for me is like helping me get undressed get out of my wheelchair like by me saying yes to you having to having sex with you or me agreeing to have sex with somebody I have to put a lot of trust in them to help me do care on top of that so consent is something that I talk about in terms of disability justice all the time because we I have to navigate people touching my body and doing things for me that that totally goes into consent and and that's something that I uh, am very very passionate about uh, I, um, being Canadian <laughs> and having a little bit of your Canadian, I mean, I'm, I was born in the state, but anyway, <laughs> I do have some, I was really interested in your 
uh, viewpoints about accessibility. Um, and then because it's a privileged person that I am, I was like, oh, yeah, I never really thought about that. So we, we had uh, gone away a few weekends ago and I was thinking about the hotel I was staying at. And I was like, if I had any mobility issues, this hotel room would be a giant fucking problem right now. Yeah. So and everywhere I looked, I, I saw I was like kind of Googling top 10 lists. And Montreal is always near the top of being one of the least accessible cities in the in the you um sorry in the world for people who have mobility issues. Um, what do you think that is? Is it like reluctance to change things? Is it money? Is it prestige? Like we want our city to look a certain way, and it's that means no disabled people. Or it's, I mean. It's French capitalism. It's uh, it's just ableism. It's all those things wrapped up together. When like, remember when I was there a couple of years ago to do to go to do something, um, they didn't. It took forever for me to book a special bus to get from where I had to go to where like another place. And I was like, why? This should be standard in every city. Like it took forever. So, um, I think. You know, most cities have this problem though. We don't they don't think when they're building when they're building structures, they don't think about disability. And unfortunately, disability is then retroactively considered later when they're like, oh no, we have to follow the policies. What they need to mm -hmm. do is build cities using disabled people's experiences from the top mm -hmm. and saying, Hey, you're disabled. Can we hire you to consult for us on this this? structure or this you know building that we're making can we pay you a proper you know wage to be our disability consultant and check the codes for us and tell us what we have to do like they don't do that usually or they follow a very rigid like outdated code of what is accessibility like sure we'll put a ramp in there and then we've made it accessible like that's in 2021 that's, that's a very narrow myopic view of what access is supposed to be and I just wish it was more broad than that so I mean there, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of cities are not accessible um, but it mostly comes down to ignorance ableism and greed you would rather spend your money on you know feeding the fat cats than giving the people that need the access access capitalism is such a flawed disgusting system it's the worst <laughs> the worst it really is um I, I think it's a lot of cursory efforts. And, and I know the Disabilities Act in the US wasn't passed until sometimes in, sometime in the 70s. So really, it's not really that long ago. And- um, Well, the, the, mean, the, the ADA was actually passed in the 90s. And then there was that, there was- a, Oh. It was passed in 1990. Um, oh, okay. the, it's, it was even younger than what you were saying. Um, so what, maybe 25 years then? That's nothing. Well, I'm 19, it's, well 31 now, yeah. 31 okay, years 30, yeah. Um, I'm terrible at math. <laughs> me too. Um, so, you know, it's, but, and, you know, the ADA only looks at things like, like discrimination in the workplace or discrimination, you know, it doesn't do a lot of stuff around, uh, day-to-day -day accessibility and day-to-day -day, like ableism that people experience so it it needs a lot of work to navigate how it feels to be a disabled person like 
you know, it doesn't really focus on things like SSI and it doesn't really focus on things like um, disability supports and care structures and all the things that people, that people with disabilities have to navigate in their day to day. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you say about having a voice at the table, because if, if they're going to be making these changes that affect you and the community, then why aren't you getting paid for your time and expertise? Yeah, you live like, it every day. Yeah, like this is what I, I'll never understand. Like I, as a, just as a consultant, I get asked constantly to do things for free. And I'm, I am, you know, I'm at the point in my career where I want to give back to community. And so if somebody comes to me and says, you know, we're a really small grassroots, whatever, would you come and talk for us? I'll say like, let me know, is there a budget? And if I believe in what they're doing, then of course I'll do it for free. But the assumption that the assumption that I, that I will just work for free because I care about stuff is like, no, 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 no. I have like to feed myself and I also deserve to get paid. So um, there's a lot of issue I have with that. Yeah, and I think too, when you brought up sex workers, I don't think that there's a lot of protections set up for them either. Um, we have SWAP, um, sex worker, crap, I don't remember what it stands for, but I can put it in the show notes. But, but basically being able to have them unionized and, and you're part of the sex work community as well. Um, yeah. It's it's these outdated laws and this morality police surrounding yeah. it, and that just pisses me off to no end. Yeah, it's really frustrating. In Canada, as far as I know, the laws in Canada are that it's not illegal to be a sex worker. It's illegal for me to hire a sex worker. So my sex worker wouldn't be arrested, but I would be arrested for hiring him. So when we hang out, like when we when we hang out and have our sessions it's very much hush hush there's no we don't you know we never say like yeah it's sex work we say like we're just hanging out i mean mm. and the, i mean the benefit of that for me is that it doesn't feel like it's a transaction because i will have already I've, i will have paid previously um so it doesn't feel like you know i'm pulling out my dollars and being like here taking my money feels like just mm. two friends hanging out which i i appreciate um but it's it's a sad state of affairs because sex work for me as a disabled person is really valuable. I I really, you know, it's given me my sex life back in a way that I didn't have before. So I'm a huge proponent of it. Yeah, I, I wish people would see it that way. But I think because of all this puritanical bullshit stuff, it's like we we look at there's this ugh, outdated notion that sex is a man and a woman behind closed doors that's i mean what year further from the truth what year are we living in 1942 like what like not anymore like no and i think also you know people conflate sex work with sex trafficking they're not mm -hmm. the same thing they're not and i like i'm i constantly am saying um you know sex work needs to be a part of disability justice work because they go hand in hand and people will say Absolutely. to me well what about when when sex workers get like get hurt and it's like well that's I'm not talking about that that's trafficking and abuse that's not consensual sex work what I'm engaging in as a client is consensual totally like above board double check triple checked do you feel safe mm -hmm. sex work yes great like it's what I am with my one sex worker it's it has become a friendship a, a friendly working relationship where like 
we will we've talked this whole year throughout the pandemic and we'll check in and be like hey how are you how are things oh um, that's awesome and so i feel very safe with him i feel very comfortable with him i don't feel it doesn't feel like i'm like i'm quote unquote hiring a sex worker it feels like i'm hanging out with my friend and we might we might fuck later which is kind of nice yeah absolutely and covid restrictions are lessening so when they go to i can promise you when they when they abate and things things fix i'm going to a hundred percent like i said the minute it's safe to i'm hiring you for a bunch of sessions <laughs> get your calendar open have yeah open dates, do some you know, Google calendar yeah yeah completely <laughs> I can tell you, um, I live in New York State. Um, I I work in HIV prevention and STI education. And um, I also, um, uh, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, because <laughs> it's not about me. This is about you. Uh, but I've noticed a trend that since last summer, our rates of gonorrhea and chlamydia have gone like through the roof. So I'm, I'm just wondering if people really, I think people really got tired of the COVID restrictions somewhere around the spring thaw. Yeah, they so. probably did. They were like, I'm horny and it's springtime. Like, I don't blame them. But I, you know, I have just been really vigilant with, I need to protect myself. Like, and I have gone long stretches of time without sex because of my disability and because mm-hmm. of ableism. So I'm used to that. I know how to I know how to occupy myself with other stuff. It hasn't been easy not being like, cause I would have, I would see my worker um, once, you know, twice a month. So every two weeks we would see each other. Uh, and I would really look forward to that because it was my time to be slutty, to be expressive, to be, to unleash all the sexuality that I couldn't, you know, do on my own. And so when that got taken away, like really quickly with COVID, and I remember the last session I had with John, we said goodbye. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll see you in two weeks. And then like three days later, mm-hmm. the world shut down and we were both like, oh, fuck, mm-hmm. like I, we can't, we can't do this anymore. And he said, you know, for your safety and my safety, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work for a while. And I said, of mm-hmm. course, like we'll take our time. And so like, it was hard because I wanted connection I wanted you know I wanted to to have those things again and being disabled and and already having such a hard time having access to that having that taken away was extremely difficult for me but but of course my my ultimate goal is to keep both of us safe and his too so I'm not gonna break that just for some dick I'll be fine <laughs> yeah, but well, and and like you said, you had so much other stuff going on at the time too. You had your own podcast and yeah, um, and work and all those things. And so, like, I was preoccupied. But in you know, now that things are slowly like feeling safer to do stuff, it is exciting that it might get to happen soon. I, I'm glad that um, your friend has his revenue stream back too, because I can't even imagine. You know, that's a service job. Yeah. And that not having that contact with people must have really put a debt in his income. Yeah. His income. And also, like, we've, we talked kind of briefly about just his, you know, emotions and his, like, and what it was like to not be able to see his clients. Cause, you know, it's not for him anyway, it's not an impersonal thing. He's very connected Mm. to the people that he spends time with. So, he was sad too and so I think we're both like chomping at the bit to see like how's this gonna be when it's safe to do it like you know the numbers in Toronto 
we're going in Ontario today went down to 170 for the whole province. So we we were very excited because or I was excited because I was like, oh, it's you know, we're finally getting to a place where it feels safe. Whereas like three months ago, we had reached a point where it was like four thousand a day. And we were like, holy shit. And we were kind of scared. And so the fact that the vaccines have lowered it that much, it just feels it feels kind of nice. Yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe you should double book them in the day. <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna have an overnight. I told them I said, you know, I want I want to spend I, like one of the things that I that I don't get to do a lot with men that I like is to spend a lot of time with them and like an extended session. So I said I want you to come mm-hmm. over and I want you to sleep over because I want you to see like he knows how to he knows how to take care of me as in getting me out of bed and getting me undressed, mm-hmm. but he hasn't seen what my day to day life is. And I was like, I want to show you that because it's important for me to show you what it's like as a disabled person who needs care, what my whole thing is. So I'm excited for that. That's awesome. I, and I love your website too. Uh, it's, it's got everything. And I, those pictures of you are very, very hot. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> About you. The harness, harness stuff. I was like, gee, maybe I have a, a little something in me that I didn't realize about leather. <laughs> you could be a leather kingster. It's all good. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, yeah, I, I want, I feel like not my personal job, but I want to, I, I kind of come from a place of, of privilege and giving people the spotlight, but I feel like I really want to advocate more for people who are in the kink scene because I think it's very misunderstood. I think it gets conflated with domestic violence and those yeah. things don't have anything to do with each other. No, they don't. And there are people who, you know, will use kink to be inappropriate and to be violent and to be, Mm. to be abusive. And I don't agree with that. And I think we just need more education on what kink is. Like kink is based a hundred percent on consent, a hundred percent on, do you feel safe in this space? How can I make you feel safe in this space before I flog you or before I beat you with consent? Like, how do I do all this stuff in a consensual way that makes you feel good? It isn't, I'm going to hit you because that's my kink. It's I'm going to check in with you before I do anything. And then I'm going to hit you once you tell me it's all right. And and, in the way you like as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another reason I have so much problem with uh, heteronormative porn is I don't want to see a woman choke on a dick and get strangled at the same time. Like, I don't, Oh, it just, it, that feels abusive to me. And, and for, from my research too, just because I like to think one of those weirdos was <laughs> like, is this ethical farm raised for <laughs> it's, I mean, it? It's so hard to, <laughs> to find that ethical farm raised porn because all we're being fed is the G the, like the manufactured stuff. But when I did mine with John, like we spent like, different tact to move away from like you know the abuse stuff but john and i spent hours figuring out how my disability would be included how my wheelchair would be included we talked about you know the ways to make it sexy we talked about Mm -hmm. the ways to make it look hot on camera like it was really collaborative so i think you can find you know farm-fed porn you just have to i like that phrase i'm going to use it more now uh, but it's you yours, just, Andrew. <laughs> I'm going to use it more now, but you just have to, you know, 
um I lost my words. You just have to, to, to have conversations. And I think, you know, I kind of appreciate that I don't do, like I've only done the one, but I want to do more. Uh, and I wouldn't do, I don't think I would do big studio porn. I don't want that. I want like homegrown in your bedroom, kind of with a camera, kind of with somebody that you know and trust. I like that idea. I like the whole, like, let me film it myself model. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. I actually prefer that too. Um there's just something something natural and organic rather than yeah. like like and you can the noises are authentic I think that's what does it for me yeah yeah exactly whereas you can tell that anybody in the mainstream porn like in the vivid videos or anything on Pornhub it's like oh I'm done yeah it's like that's not how like and when I was doing it I mean to be fair when you do it, when you do it, you are acting a little bit. There is a little bit of show you're putting on because you know the camera's there. And so mm. even when John and I, who have been fucking now for four, four years, the minute the camera was on both of us, we were like, oh, we have to like, it shifted a little bit into, we are having a regular session, but there is a camera right there. So we have to like play to it just a little bit. And mm. I'm not good at that. And if I can send you a copy of my porn so you can see what I'm talking about. I'm not great at it. Oh, sure. Um, and, and it's it's laughable if I watch it, but but um, it was fun to do that in my bedroom and to show the world how a disabled person has sex and enjoys it too. Yeah, and I certainly yeah. did. Certainly did. It was not exploitive in any way, which is no. kind of the other big issue by the the capitalist adult film industry. Yeah, it certainly it was a hundred percent not exploitative. It was it was totally of my own my own volition i agreed to it i wanted to do it it was i was actually excited to do it um and i'm really proud of it i think too i got a suggestion for you as far as pornography so this was big in the 90s because i am old (laughs) i'm 45 now i'll be 46 in the fall oh yeah Um, (laughs) bend over boyfriend which was owned by uh two queer women who are part, both uh, business partners and uh, uh, spouse. I'm gonna spouse doesn't sound like the right word. They were they were romantic partners. That's a better word. Okay. Um, but, but it was all about straight men and pegging, and it was just really like very cool, dominant, but like consensual. I don't know. It was really 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 well done, and they had a fantastic run. And unfortunately. It got shut down after a while, which was a shame. Oh, uh, yeah, that is a shame. But if you ever find old clips of Bend Over Boyfriend, it's very, very well done. I will certainly have a little hunt now to, to go find it and see. <laughs> um, also on your webpage, too, I saw that um, you were doing um, a Kickstarter for V Call. Yeah, we just we just shut it down. We got to about eighteen thousand eighteen thousand eight hundred dollars. Uh, and thank Lovely. you everyone who donated to that um it was we my family and I were looking for a vehicle for me because we had one from years from like 20 years ago and it was trying to get old and we were like oh, wow. we, need, we needed one so I just said to my mom one day what if I just went on like I'm people know who I am a little bit so I was like what if I went online and said I need this for my family and see if we get some donations and I didn't think we'd get you know I thought maybe five grand we'd get maybe we were lucky and then they kept pouring in they kept you know the numbers going up and so like 
within a month and a half, we raised 18 grand, which, which I thought was amazing. And so my parents bought the van and then we used that money to pay off most of it. And we're still working on covering it, but yeah, I'm very excited that um, we, I have a new vehicle for my independence. That's lovely. That really is. Um, what, what inspired you to do um, wheels on the ground? Wheels on the ground. You, it's funny. At the beginning, you said it's a production company. I wish that it was so. It was cool enough to be a production company. It was literally mm-hmm. an idea that I. It's literally me making a bumper, like a beginning bumper that says, "You're listening to Wheels on the Ground," because I wanted to create a space for disabled podcasters to come and make their own shows because there are not enough disabled mm-hmm. podcasters in that space, and I don't want to. I have show ideas. But I don't want to be, I don't, you know, I have a lot of privilege. I'm, I'm a white, cis, disabled person. Um, and I don't want to be the, you know, the front and center of, of all these ideas. I want, to, I want to use my notoriety to say, why don't I give a platform to someone else to make their mm-hmm. own show? Why don't I help them produce a show? Why don't I, you know, use what I've learned in, because again, I, and I don't have a production team behind me here. You can see, like, it's DIY me, all the way. Yeah, it's me <laughs> in my room by myself with a mic being like, all right, this is, I'm doing it now. So I want to use my skills as a podcaster. I've been doing my show now for five plus years. Wow. That feels weird. But I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to use that, my, my skills to, to help someone else. I, I um, you've mentioned it too in a few of your episodes about how you say, I don't know every kind of disability out there. I am not the spokesperson for every disabled queer man, yeah. queer male representing man. Um, and and you you do you give you a lot of space to people who want to tell their own story that their narrative's a little different from yours, even though you are part of the disability community. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, listening to other people's narratives in our community. There's a lot of intercommunity fighting. There's a lot of intercommunity like. Really? Well, not fighting, but just, I think this way, I think this way, you're wrong. And so my thing is like, the platform for me is to, even if I don't agree with everything everybody says, the platform is for me to listen to their story and put it out there and hope that for someone it resonates. And then I can do shows where I give you my full on opinion of what I think about something. Or, But I like also saying to a guest, like, when you come on my show, the hour is for you to share with me whatever as long as you're not being like you know a racist or an ableist or like super mm. super problematic then you can share with whatever viewpoint you want and I think giving giving other voices in the disability community a platform is important absolutely um are you still writing because you've you've been in some pretty high profile publications Huffington Post the advocate um out magazine right out mag- Hopping the bus, having it out magazine, BBC, all the, all those ones. Um, yeah, I don't write so much anymore. I do like one-off pieces. I feel mm-hmm. like, unfortunately, the like blogosphere and the journaling—it's slowly kind of like falling away a little bit. I think, and it's hard it to is. find yeah. paying gigs to do that and because I'm a freelancer. Like, I can't just do it for free. So I find like Twitter and Instagram really great places to share my views really quickly and then I can say like hey if you want to hear more so you know 
follow the podcast or support the Patreon or give me five bucks or, you know, like I, I like to do it more on my own now. Um, but I mean, any outlet that wants me to write for them, I'm here and I'll do it. So hire me. Maybe uh, when you hit 40, uh, you can do, publish your memoirs, like the story so far. <laughs> I mean, I, that's only three years away. I could, I could, <laughs> and I might, who knows, who knows. <laughs> um, so part of the other thing too that I've noticed when uh, I work with consenting adults that have sex, uh, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of the word. I guess hookup, I don't know. um I've I've had more and more people like once they hit like age 35 saying I'm just I can't use condoms anymore and it's come to the discussion of because my dick won't get hard so I'm I'm just wondering too about how um are you on prep uh are you a prep advocate or are you a condom guy or I'm just curious I am not on prep because I have tummy issues Um, oh no that would make prep super hard because I only really fuck my sex worker realistically. Mm. Like, and we know each other's statuses and we know each other's like comfort levels. I don't always use condoms. I take that risk and I'm fully aware of that. And like, mm-hmm. I will go get tested if I need to. And I'll tell my GP like, Hey, fucked around the other day. Didn't wear a condom. And you know, I get, I get them to like scold me and stuff. Be like, Andrew, you should, I'm like, I know, but I'm 37. Like allow me to, to take the risk. And allow me to like I'm telling you the truth. I could lie to you, but I'm telling you the honest truth. Like so, I and I have worn condoms and I have no issue with them. I think, you know, my issue with condoms is, are they accessible for somebody? No. So like, what I have to do usually if, if I'm with the partner that wants me to wear one or I want to wear one, they have to put it on for me. And sometimes that mm-hmm. can be a boner killer, and sometimes that is is hot and fine. So I think. They're totally great. I have, I will use them and I, I support, you know, safe sex, obviously. But I also think safe sex is much larger than, ju- larger than just wear a condom. I think absolutely you're allowed to take risks. And if I know that a partner, you know, the, if I know their status and I know their um, STI status as well, and I want to go bareback, I'm allowed to do that. So I think that, um, again, a huge proponent of, of safe sex, but it's much larger than, it's much larger than just wear a condom. Yeah, it is. Um, and they're expensive and people don't store them right. And people don't know how to use them. And they're too embarrassed to say, because uh, I get a lot of people, uh, I do a lot of HIV testing and we got to the point where we can do 15 minute tests, which is amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, we can do a mouth swab or a little finger stick, and then you'll get your nice. Results. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love it. But I, and anybody I talk to, especially if we're gonna go on prep, I, I will always say to them, "How do you feel about condoms?" I'm not here to change your mind because I, I feel like you either use them or you don't, and if you don't use them, I'm not gonna shame you about it. Like I have no problem with them, and with other sex workers mm-hmm. that I've spent time with, I've worn them, and it's, it's not an issue for me with. You know, yeah. certain people, I, I won't, though, because um, we, we both decided that we like we, we've talked about the risks. We've talked it through. I'm a grown person and I know that I could contract something and I take that risk. But yeah. it's it's few and far between. Um, I, but I just think they need to be more accessible. And then absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, too, also, too, if uh, I always tell people, when it comes to sex, the wetter the better. So lube is like your best friend. If <laughs> it I cuts use, down a. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I use lube a lot for not only sex but for I use medical grade lube not for sex but for my I have a catheter so I need help to go pee and stuff. So oh. I I'm I have lube on me at all times pretty much. Lovely. <laughs> You're a well-oiled machine. I'm so a well-oiled speak. machine, quite literally, quite literally. And I'm sitting in a well-oiled machine. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really love puns. I'm so quirky. I'm there for that. I'm there for the puns. I'm all about it. Um, but lube too, all on its own, cuts down by STIs by 30%, which is really kind of- Wow, I didn't know rate. that. It's like the best kept secret. That is what I tell all of my patients, especially younger guys who are in that kind of like, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm free. Yeah, I'm 21. Woo. Yeah, that, yeah. that mentality. Yeah, that little pink cloud of happiness. That, like, where you're finally like, my parents are out of the picture. I can legally drink and fuck. This is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, too, I'm a fully... Uh, more about like yeah if you have chlamydia you're going to get an antibiotic and you're going to get better from it it's going to resolve and we can treat your partner too yeah whereas hiv is a lifelong illness yeah and even though people who have hiv have great lives you know, it's good to avoid it if you can of course young. it's not something that you like want to go after of course not mm. Um, what's the, is there, so for us in the capital district, um, that's what we call where I live, <laughs> Albany, Schenectady, Troy. Oh, nice. Well, you're not that far from that me. Way. You're only about not really, no. 10 hours from me. Nice, nice. <laughs> I, I went to, uh, Toronto when I was five. So it was 1980. Wow. That's the last <laughs> time you were in Toronto? Yes. <laughs> oh, come visit us. It's nice here. I went to the expo. It was wow, 1980s Toronto. That's that would be a trip um, for sure. No, 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 no. Come back. The thing I remember the most, though, I I just thought of this actually. <laughs> when uh, we were on a, taking a little trip with our, my Canadian family, we're not blood related. We're just our families are very close. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the pornography being front and center at the newsstand. It's like, oh, I think I need to get some gum. And I'm like, why is that man holding that woman's boobs? I don't understand. And my mom came over and she laughed at me. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. And she's like, I guess we were progressive in the 1980s Toronto. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Isn't that wild? Yeah. Especially growing up Catholic, I was Catholic. Oh yeah, your poor, your poor, your poor mother was like, "What is happening?" Yeah, she she's a nurse, so it's a little bit of like yeah, uh, scientific slash okay, my Catholic guilt's coming in. She could have just said she could have said sex education to you; it would have been fine. Oh my God! (laughs) (laughs) My father still gets uncomfortable with sex scenes in like regular movies. Oh no! (laughs) Yeah. He's oh, older. No. He was born during World War II. So. Yeah, well, that would do it then. Yeah. Um, we, we were watching, oh gosh. Oh, and now I can't think of the name of it. Liam Neeson. Uh, it was about. Taken? No. No. Um, he's a sex researcher, and now I'm really. Kinsey. Yes. 
which has to be seriously the most unsexy movie about sex. I think that was the point. And he was like, I- I'm embarrassed. I'm going to go do something else. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> you poor dad. I know. He's so sweet in that way. I'm like, dude, you have three children. I mean. You had to do it sometime. At some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Did you grow up in a sex positive house? I certainly didn't. And I, I was a horny kid. So I kind of <laughs> want to keep that self. Yeah, I did. My, no, my mom, my mom is very, very sex positive. She's very, very, um, when I came out to her and I've told the story a bunch, but I love the story. When I came out to her, I was 15. Oh, wow. I was really, I was like two weeks shy of my 16th birthday. And I was really worried that oh, I'm already disabled. Now I'm going to be gay too. Fuck. So I remember like, not wanting to tell, tell her and we were sitting at the dinner table one day and I was being really morose and I, it was like 2000 I was listening to Alanis Morissette I was being really I was being a teenager and I was and I was just being a bratty attitudinal like everything is the worst teenager mm-hmm. and she's and I, I wouldn't talk to anybody and she says Andrew what's wrong with you are you gay or something and I went well yeah and she went oh and she turned around and I cried and she cried. Oh. And then she said, oh, no, it's okay. And I'll never forget. She made me my comfort food at the time, which was honey and yogurt together. And it was like my favorite thing to eat, to be, com- to be, to be like comfy. Uh-huh. And she made that for me. And she sat down and she said, when you watch a movie, do you watch the man, like a, a sex scene in a movie, do you watch the man and the woman? And I said, obviously the man, mom, obviously. And she was like, okay. So do you think Brad Pitt's hot? And I was like, yeah of course like bits, of course and so like then you know we did and she said to me at one point after all the crying she said you know I'm really glad you told me I love you no matter what but I, but you should know that you being disabled will make it'll be a little bit harder for you in those communities mm. and at the time I was like you don't know what you're talking about mom whatever and so like now but now you know she's not she wasn't wrong it has been harder mm-hmm. for me to build relationships in that community um, but then after we had our like proper sit down, she rented Priscilla Queen of the Desert for me and said, Aww. if you want to be a gay like this, that's okay too. And of course, at the time I was like, no, mom, I'm not that kind of gay. I'm super masculine, <laughs> which is ridiculous now. But, you know, and so then four years later, I was, I went to the college drag show and I dressed up and I called her and I said, you'll never guess what I'm wearing, a dress and heels and a wig and I'm going to do drag now. And so I love her openness to talk about stuff. Like I also told her a couple of years ago that I work with sex workers and I like that ended up being a story that I, that I wrote about on HuffPo and ended up going on BBC. Yeah. And you know, like she's been in my documentary that I was in about sex and disability. So she's very, I did grow up in a very sex positive home and, we still talk about stuff and like, you know, we talked about the other day about my, my sex worker and she said, you know, I'm so glad you have this opportunity and you built this for yourself and you chose this for yourself to, to give yourself a sex life and to make yourself feel okay. I'm glad you did this. And like, it was such an affirming thing for her to say and to know how hard I've struggled to be a part of the community and to finally find someone that was willing to like, want to spend time with me in that way was was great and for her to not judge that and and I remember when I first told her she said 
I told her, I was like, mom, I work with sex workers. And she paused and I thought she was going to say like, what? You know, that's horrible. She said, oh, if I were in your position, I'd do the exact same thing. Good for you. And it was so affirming to me and she didn't miss a beat. And I'm so thankful that she's like that because it didn't face her at all. Not a little bit. Like I also have trouble with a whole other story, but I have trouble with premature ejaculation sometimes because of my disabilities and because Mm -hmm. I can't masturbate. Sometimes I'll just come because my body wants to. So sometimes when when I'm on the train to go visit her, my body will decide it's release time and I'll, and it'll release and then I'll she'll go to pick me up from the train and she'll be like why are your pants wet and I'll be like ah you know I came on the train and she's like oh well it's it's you know it's whatever it is and we just go on with our day but she's really my biggest champion my biggest supporter in this kind of thing I do and I I'm very 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 grateful for that that's amazing that's that's I'd love to hear that. I, I, we hear far too many stories of people being shunned. Or oh no, she she yeah. was so hard into my queerness when I came out. I was like, mom, you have to <laughs> like back off a little bit. <laughs> Can you stop being so supportive? <laughs> yeah, like, but she's so proud of me. Like we went, she took me to my very first pride parade in like, oh, wow. in like 2002 or 2003 or whatever. Took me to the... Toronto Pride Parade and walked with me there and it, like she's so okay with whatever I tell her and she's 68 and she's just one of my she's honestly on top of being my mom we are best friends we talk about three or four times on the phone every day so I oh she's just great and I wish that more I wish that more disabled kids and disabled teens had parents like that who would be open with them about stuff and she has yeah them. yeah just just hearing that just <laughs> I love stuff like this this is because I feel like we really not we uh, obviously but uh media really picks up on and you had a horrible life and we want to show really showcase your heartache and it's like not everybody's story is that way yeah and not everybody <laughs> not everybody's like entering into queerness is like your parents came out. Yeah, like, yeah. And mine wasn't. Mine was very loving and gentle. Now, my entry into like sex was horrible um, because ableism and men are the worst. But, like, mm. you know, my entry into queerness with my mom, with my family was super loving and they were very supportive. And, and the more and more my identity shift and change, like, I'm, I'm now, you know, exploring the they, he pronoun. I'm exploring my non binariness. I'm exploring my femme identity. I'm exploring different sides of myself and I also think you know our parents came my, my mom came from a different generation so the fact that mm. she is so open about stuff is kind of shocking because in her time they weren't so I'm really glad that she was kind of a hippie like out there mom because she really made me strong to be able to do what I do. Like, I remember when I told her that I did porn, she was like, oh, God. She was like, oh, good for you. That's so awesome. Like, she was she was my number one supporter. Um, and when I told her that I, did, that I did sex work, she, like, you know, we, we turned it into a BBC article together. Like, it's so cool. It was such a cool thing to have a mom that, that is so supportive. 
is she um and she knows about you and your sister's adventure oh yeah 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 she was the (laughs) she was the first one on our initial like gofundme to get research money she was the first one to give us money she we did you know she she will tell everybody about it she's very 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 supportive (laughs) of what we do um and i'm i'm proud to be her kid and also her friend that's amazing it's amazing. And uh, when do you hope to have um, the sex? It's going to be virtual, right? Uh, duh. <laughs> I'm tripping over my words today. I apologize. Um, when will the launch be for um, the toys? Hopefully pre-sales will go August, September. COVID, oh, that's wonderful. Just COVID, a few months. Back. Yeah. COVID really fucked us over with like, and my sister can tell yeah. you way more about like the 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 um let's try words but the planning for that because i i am the the like showy offy one it's like oh cool let's talk about the creative side she's the one that has to she's the one that has to put you know she's the one that's in the back end working her ass off to make the thing go i'm just so you're the face and she's the the business yeah yeah (laughs) and so I, i really respect her because i couldn't fucking do what she has to do to make it go like learning about the law, learning about patents, learning about like, you know, IP, all these things that I have no idea about. I just get to come in and help with like the making it go. And so I love that part, but she is really, I love my sister to bits and she's the driving force behind Handy because I couldn't do half of what she does to keep that thing, that company afloat. So she's great. So she took a crash, like a crash course in getting an MBA. I mean, Almost. she, she, she has a background in marketing and innovation. So oh, that's she, awesome. So she, she's been doing ad marketing for years and years for some of the biggest um, ad companies in the world. So she has wow. that background. And then I have, you know, my lived experience of being disabled and a freelancer and knowing yeah. how to talk about that. So together, I mean, it really is the perfect pairing of people to, to do this venture. I was going to say, this is just like, but it's probably been like a long time brewing. This is amazing that you're able to blend your two worlds together. Yeah. I mean, and we never thought we would work together. We always thought we were in very different streams. And then one day when, when we, you know, started having the conversation about sex and disability, we realized there's something here. And Heather said to me, Heather said to me very naively to me and I to her, should we make one? Like, should we, you know, make a toy? And we didn't think it would be you know as as time consuming and as like big as it is but now that we're on the road we at least want to get it out there and so we're excited it's amazing oh we've gone it's been an hour i can't believe oh, amazing. it yeah, i know it, it doesn't even feel like that <laughs> andrew where can people find you and your amazing podcast <laughs> amazing they can follow me up on my website, uh, andrewgerza.com. I don't post a lot there though because I, mm. my website is just my landing page for like, here I, here's who I am. Find me on the other places. But I'm also right. big on uh, Twitter and Instagram at andrewgerza underscore. They can follow me there. They can download my weekly podcast, uh, Disability After Dark, which is shining a bright light on disability stories. So I talk about everything from sexuality to sexuality and disability to just the disability experience in general and I shine a light on the stories around disability that we don't talk about um they can download the that podcast on any podcast player disability after dark 
Uh, and yeah, those are all the places you can find me. You can also follow my work with Handy and my sister at www.that'shandy with an I. Mm-hmm. Co. And if you go on there, you can also register your interest to, to be one of the first for when the toy comes out. You can buy our book that goes along with the toy around, that, are, that is stories around sex and disability called The Handy Book of Love, Lust, and Disability. And if you buy a book in any format, digital, audiobook, or physical, every dollar from that goes to fund our toy. So if you buy a book, you're actually funding the first sex tech for disabled people. So buy a book, friends. Um, Absolutely. That'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm going to put your uh, where to find you in our show notes. And please listen to Disability After Dark. It's raw. It's funny. It's sexy. It's it's everything. Um, you just have a way about you that just is very charming. Oh, and thank I, you. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're just, just like, you have that I don't know, just a presence about you that makes people feel comfortable. <laughs> oh, thank you. I very much appreciate that. It's very nice to hear. And awesome. thank you so much for having me on Birds and the Bees, right? Yes? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> please like, rate, and review. If you would like to be on the show or have any feedback for me, feedback makes the show get better. You can email me at thebirdsandbees at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at thebirdsandbeespod. And I'm also available for freelance education. If you want to have this voice and the body attached to it, <laughs> talk to you about sexuality and, um, and uh, other various intimate things, you can shoot me an email. Thank you so, so much for joining me. And uh, be nice to yourself. Be really kind to yourself. You deserve it. <laughs> We're good? Yay! Yay, Kayla, I'm going to hit off. And then I'm going to send you